Good morning. I have the privilege this morning of directing our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the way of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I hope you're in for something this morning. Good to see you all. Have you noticed the theme yet? Anybody noticed the theme? Anybody counted how many times we used the word love this morning? I think really Chrissy preached my message this morning, so maybe I should just say amen and we'll all get home early. Nah, that wouldn't be good. Brian would be a little upset, but I'm so grateful to be here this morning. Um, Many of you know uh, my mom, my dear mom, passed away um, September 29th, and we're still grieving, but she went home to be with the Lord. She went home peacefully, um, and she taught me uh, some great things in life. She was never really outgoing about her faith. She lived it. But as I reflect back all those years that I've known her, 70 years, um, I reflected on her life and I realized what a great example she was to me as far as loving one another. And even as she was coming down her last couple weeks of life, and I would Marg and I would go in there uh, a couple times a day, sit with her, pray, read scripture, play music. Um, You know, uh, she had been bedridden because she broke her hip. We knew it wasn't too long, but I could be sitting on the side of her bed, and I could yawn. And she would turn to me, out of a sleep, I thought, and she would say, Bob, you're tired. Go home. That's a mother's love. That is a mother's love. And I, you don't realize that until 
your loved one passes away and you start thinking about things uh, and um, it's just been overwhelming for me um, to think about how much she loved me and even that was minuscule compared to how much Jesus loves me and how much Jesus loves you. So I don't know about you, but I get kind of, I go into some deep thinking when major events happen, and this was a major event for me. Uh, and so um, I began to think about the word love. I began to think about what are the marks of a true follower of Christ? And the Spirit wouldn't let me go. The word love, just like we're hearing this morning, kept coming up over and over and over again. And for me, you know, Brian's been preaching a great series. The word love and how God wants us to love ties all it together. It's the cord that binds everything else together. And if we read about in Galatians uh, chapter 5, it's the first of the fruit of the Spirit. So with the passing of my mom uh, a few weeks back, the Holy Spirit again kept stirring me, and I have not been the same since. So where does he take me? He takes me to chapter 13, uh, the chapter of love. And I really started reading what was going on there and what Paul really meant. I, how many of you have read that 100 times, 1 Corinthians? Oh, sure. It's great to read the Bible, but you've got to let the Bible read you. And you got to let it get in here deeper and deeper. So this is where I am today. I, if I bore you, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe I'm just letting some stuff out so I don't have to go to a psychiatrist, you know. Uh, that's okay, you know, thank you. Um, but I want to touch on three points this morning. Um, uh, how the love of God is distinct, distinct from the love of the world. How love is described in chapter 13, and then the durability of God's love. The three Ds there, distinct, described, and the durability. And so when a person comes to Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit gives them what? Spiritual gifts, okay? And we're to use those gifts for the glory of God. We read that in the chapter previous to that, 12, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 7. And these spiritual gifts are what we do for the Lord, okay? And they also edify and strengthen the body and they glorify the Lord, hopefully. And each one of you, each one of us has been gifted with an amazing gift that God has specially prepared for us. But the greatest gift that we have, and I'm thoroughly convinced, I've been convinced, but I haven't always lived it out, it's the gift of his love working in us and through us, not only in the body of Christ, but out in the community. And these fruits that we read about in Galatians and, and here in, in chapter 13, as the spiritual gifts are what we do for the Lord, these gifts that we're going to talk about today are who we are for the Lord, who we really are, what, what you know, it's the being and if we're, to, if we're Christians, we're to be like Christ. So, so these are things that uh, we're going we're gonna to look at today. And so um, we read chapter 13, which is sandwiched in between 12 and 14. I'm pretty sharp, aren't I? Um, you know, and, and so uh, why was it put in the middle there? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, I won't get into all that. But when you look at the very last verse in chapter 12 
Uh, Paul writes, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Wow, you know, I will show you a more excellent way. Then chapter 13 starts, and this is where I began to think, what matters most? What really matters in this world? And what matters most to me? So I want to give you a little sneak preview uh, with some backup verses here before we actually jump into that. I want to share with you four things here, okay? His love was placed in us when we were saved by his grace. And Paul, uh, Paul writes very clearly in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been what? Poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us on the moment of salvation. So God's love is poured out in us. His love working in us and displayed one to another is the greatest testimony we have to a lost world. And, and, and John writes about this, by this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. And then another thing here, so we see, we see those two things. When we walk in love for one another, what's it mean? We're walking in obedience to the Lord, aren't we? We're walking in obedience. When we exercise that love, we're walking in obedience. And John also says, uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then the last one here, when we walk in the love for one another, we prove that we are saved by his grace. There's proof there. And John writes too, we know that we have passed out of death into what? Into life because we love our brothers and sisters. Whoever does not abide in love abides in death. That's pretty strong words, isn't it, from John? That's, that's, that, that, that hit me right there. So, uh, those are the four things I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I love to read uh, older um, theologians. And uh, anybody ever heard of the Scottish minister, Marcus Dodds? No? Yes? Okay. Uh, this blew me away when I read it. Uh, love is the ligament which binds together the several members of the body of Christ. The cement which keeps the stones of the temple together. I love that. Without love, there can be no body, no temple, only isolated stones, disconnected, and therefore useless members. Wow. I, 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 there's a language about the, the old writers, the old commentaries that I love for some reason. So anyway, with that said, let's move on, okay? We're going to get into the distinction uh, why is the love of God distinct from the love of the world? Okay, that's my first point. I only have 17 points this morning, so be patient with me, okay? Uh, no, really three points, okay? The love of God is different. The love of God is different. The whole idea of these verses is that God's love is distinct, and it should be different from the love of the world. Not only different, but superior to the love of the world. Anything outside of the love of God, as we learn in the Scripture through the Holy Spirit, is something else, okay? It's distinct from the love of the world. It's distinct from even what the Beatles' definition of love is. I'm dating myself, I know. Uh, regardless of what we do, if it's not infused 
with the love of God and carried out, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. And I, I know that Paul, uh, the Lord has caught me doing things with the wrong motivation at times in my life. And I, have, I don't have time to share that with you. But three things we see in the first three verses. We see the sensational, we see something spectacular, and we see the sacrificial, okay, in the first three verses of chapter 3. And, and Paul writes that he can speak with amazing oratory skills, he can preach with great power, he can understand the mysteries, all knowledge, all faith, do miraculous things, but it's no substitute for love. No substitute for love. Because if we do those things, maybe you don't hear it, but maybe God hears it as just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now that, that's pretty convicting to me. And I compare this, has anybody ever been to a solo cymbal concert? I'll get you some tickets if you like. Um, I assure you it would be terrible. I assure you it would not be pleasurable. I assure you it would be annoying. And that's what Paul's saying, okay? Paul pictures this as, um, as something just totally ridiculous. So all this sensational stuff sometimes that you see on TV from different people, and I won't mention anybody, you know, it can move a person's emotions. It can change a person's mind. You know, it can move a person's will, but it will never change a person's heart. Only the love of God can do that. Only the love of God to do that. Anything else is just a clashing, noisy gong and cymbal. And we're, as Paul said, we might as well just be like the heathen, okay? Because it, it amounts, without love, it amounts to nothing. Without love, we can expect nothing, okay? Peterson, in his message, says, so no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. I'm absolutely bankrupt without love. So how's our bank account individually and here at Deep Run? You know, so, so the love of God is really distinct from the world. The love, of the, the love of the world comes in many disguises, and we have to be aware of that. We have to be careful that we can recognize the difference. And here's a verse that grabbed me. The Apostle John warned us. He says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And I've had to check myself on that many times over the years. In the 40-some years as being a Christian, I've done a lot of good things, you know, but I won't really know until I give account to God one day. And he might say, well, Bob, you did one thing that was really done with love, you know? How would I feel about that? So we've got to be careful. No matter what we do here, it's got, that motivation has to be the deep, perfect, powerful love of Christ, okay? So, all right, let's... let's hone it down here a little bit. Let's look at verses 4 through 12, and I'm not going to read them again, um, but I'll be brief, maybe. Um, so this is where I look a little deeper. This is where the Holy Spirit really convicted me, and I hope he convicts you, and I pray that you listen well. Maybe some of you are beyond this, but I'm preaching what I felt I need to change on, and that's, that's what happens sometimes. You know, if nobody was here today, I'd be getting something out of this message, so, and I already have. But Paul goes on, he gives us a, 
an in-depth look at what love really is. And I hope I do justice to this. I know I can't just in a few minutes here, but there's, um, Paul, I, I pictured Paul holding up a beautiful, precious, perfect diamond with the one light shining through it, okay? And revealing the many different facets of that one light shining through that diamond, uh, the person of God, the person of Jesus Christ, okay? And that's where we look here at the details of love. That's where we see the many different facets of the love of Christ. And then Paul tears it apart and explains it, and he goes, love is patient. Love is patient. And that word means patient endurance under provocation. And the literal meaning is to be long-tempered. Long-tempered. And the characteristic of love reveals the truth that love never retaliates. It never retaliates. It shouldn't. Patience is how love responds to others. Even our kids sometimes. And I know Chrissy just confessed it, you know. We all have to confess it. You know, we're not there yet. Someone once said, um, or I read somewhere, patience is letting your motor idle when you feel like stripping the gears. Seriously. Let it idle. Patience is powerful, especially in the climate of the culture we live today in. So love is patient, love is kind, okay? Um, Paul describes this love as act of goodness, act of goodness that goes forth on behalf of other people. That's kindness. And uh, genuine love is never hateful, it's never mean, but there's a, a ton of respect in kindness, and it reaches out to others. And the supreme example is who? Jesus Christ himself. Did he ever retaliate? Did he ever stand up for his own rights or anything like that? No. He was kind in spite of how they treated him. Are we? See, kindness is truly how love treats other people. That's what it boils down to, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but driving around everywhere now, you see these little signs up, be kind. Anybody ever seen them? Be kind, be kind on telephone poles, and, and that's right out of Scripture. But let's be honest here this morning, since we are family. What do we see all around us today? We see aggression. We see hostility. We see hatred. You know, we, it, it's almost like a um, militant attitude. I'm not going to be pushed around by nobody. And that's the church sometimes. <laughs> that's people that make up the body of Christ. And here, here's something really interesting. We act like every encounter is a battle that must be won rather than a misunderstanding that needs to be overcome. Did you get that? We act like it's a battle because that's what the culture says. But no, most of them are misunderstanding. And I'm going to date myself again here. Anybody remember Glenn Campbell? No, probably. Anybody raising their hands? Yeah. He had a song out called Try a Little Kindness. You know, I, I know, I, I need to get with the other generation, but, you know, in this song, 
It just encourages us to show a little kindness by being less negative, holding on to those things that don't matter, and when we're kind, let those streams of light shine out so it brings hope to others. Well, let's move on here. Love does not envy. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. You know, true love is never jealous. It's never jealous over the abilities, the successes, or possessions of others. We went to our 52nd high school reunion last night. Wow, bunch of old folks getting together, and we were still able to communicate and eat and do all those things, you know. Nobody was in a wheelchair or anything. But there was a lot of successful people there. You know, doctors, lawyers, business, you know, and uh, everybody's writing emails back and forth the last couple weeks, and you hear all these success stories and everything. And so wouldn't you have a tendency to be a little envious if you just kind of led normal lives like Margaret and I do and some of you do, uh, you know. But, um, but I caught myself, you know, I caught myself and we had a great time. But, you know, for me, jealousy is one of the, the, the vilest sins that we can harbor uh, in our hearts. God's love is never jealous. Rather, it's pleased when others succeed. And I was so happy last night that I passed the test because I was just thrilled to hear all the success stories instead of going, well, why didn't I do that? Why aren't I successful? Be careful. You're measuring by the world's standards, not God's standards. So be careful with that one. Love does not boast. Love doesn't make a parade for itself. It doesn't brag. It doesn't draw attention to itself, never. Love does not have to be the center of attention. Love is not arrogant or proud. And uh, no matter how great our talents are, and we have some very gifted people in our church, no matter how spectacular our gifts are, some people have multiple spiritual gifts that they exercise, and, and it blows me away. We always have to remember this. It's all because of his divine grace. Everything in life is grace, and I'm learning that. And this love is humble because it remembers where it was before grace found it. I once was what? Blind, but now I see. So love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It always treats others with compassion, always treats others with consideration, always treats others with respect. Remember, Jesus was a perfect gentleman, and we should be so too. And love does not insist on its own way. True love is never selfish, never self-centered. It is actively interested in what will profit others, actively interested. It never looks at itself first, but always considers other people first. And that's what I saw in my mom. That's what I saw in my mom, and I didn't realize it. So she was gone, and I, I, I played the tape back, and I thought about her life and all the numerous, generous, loving acts of sacrifice for her family and for others. She was always putting herself in the back of the line. That's how I pictured it. 
Always in the back of the line. And Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility that each count others more significant than yourselves. That each of you, okay, nobody gets out of this one, that each of you Look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Just take that verse and leave and go out and do it. Just take that one verse. It's amazing, really. That hit me too. Okay, and lastly here, love is not irritable or resentful. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Keeps no record of what's been done to you in life. But it willingly endures all slights, all injuries. This characteristic of love reminds us that love does not demand its own rights. It's willing to yield to the will of another. Love only responds with anger with what angers God. Remember that. Love only responds in anger. And sometimes, oh, we peace, love, you know. Uh-uh. Just read the scripture. We should be angry at what God is angry about in this world. And so, you know, all the things are handled through active, complete, immediate forgiveness, as Paul says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, let's see. Let's move on here a little bit, okay? I thought I was done, but I have a couple more here. Um, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love does not rejoice in sin, whether it's our own sins or sin of others. Love hates sin, and we should hate sin too. And then the last one here, but rejoices with the truth. While love hates all forms of evil, love loves the truth. Love loves the truth. It rejoices when truth is proclaimed. It rejoices when truth has the victory over lies. That's a powerful thing. And while love hates all forms of evil, love is glad for the truth. And when the truth hurts, even when the truth hurts. And so, okay, that was kind of a summary. I couldn't really do a great justice on it, but I didn't tell you this, that I'm going to give you a test now. Okay, how many of you love to do tests in school? Anybody like to take tests? I hated them. I hated tests. Sorry, kids. If there's any kids here, I love to take tests. You know, I worked hard. I studied hard. But anyway, here, here's, here's just a couple questions. Am I patient with others? Am I patient with others? Am I kind to others? Am I kind to my neighbors the way I should be? Working at it, do I harbor jealousy? Do I boast any time in pride? How often do I demand my own way? Do people think I'm irritable or rude? I mean, what do people think of us? Do I keep a record of people's wrongs? Do I hold grudges? You know, chapter 13 is really not written to make us feel bad or condemn us. It's written to help us. It's written for us to set some spiritual goals in our life and not stop. I don't care how many years you've been a Christian. We're not there yet. And we won't be there. But we've got... We've got to keep working at it. So that's, that's the summary there of uh, those verses. There's four things that we 
try to understand here with the staying power of love, okay? It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. You know, uh, bearing all things, how many, it's just the last couple weeks have just been, you know, and I, and I try to share with Margaret a little bit, but it's been pretty sensitive, you know, that God is really working on my heart, and um, when you realize what you haven't been doing, it kind of hurts a little bit. And then when you measure it with the scripture, you know, you can feel kind of bad. You can be convicted, and that's good. But what do we do with that? What do we do with that conviction? And, 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 and reading on multiple times through the scripture and studying it, you know, we need to bear all things. And the word bear means to cover. Instead of parading around the failures and faults of others, which, hey, we're really good at here in our world these days, you know? Um, love covers them over and continues to cover them over in spite of what they do. And we're seeing that more and more these days. It believes all things. Love always places the best possible interpretation on everything that happens. And I've really been trying that. And it's where it works. It doesn't always seek the negative answer. Love hopes all things. Love always expects the best outcome. And I haven't always done that. Have you always, have you always looked at that that way? I haven't. And that's, that's, that's radical. Love is the eternal optimist. Love always holds out hope that things will work out right in the end. And we're hope dispensers. The church should be hope dispensers. We should, the world, if the world ever needs it now, it, it, it just, I mean, you can just burst, you burst yourself. It needs it. It needs that hope because they're grappling for everything else. So love, love uh, endures all things. Um, it's a military term, actually. You know, when you study it, love never gives up the fort. That's what that means. It stands its ground. It stands its ground and continues in spite of everything that's thrown against it. It continues in spite of persecution and any ill treatment that we might receive. Love bears the unbearable, believes the impossible, holds on to the incredible, never gives up. The word stop does not exist in the vocabulary of love. It just doesn't. And so we're wrapping all that up, and the last thing we read here as Paul holds up that diamond, love never ends. Love never fails. Love never disappoints. Love never falls away. Love never becomes inefficient. Love never loses. And when everything else in the world passes away, love will continue to go on through all eternity. That's all we have, okay? And the idea here, I think I got one word, is endurance. And we as a church have to endure no matter what comes upon us in the days ahead. And so the last thing, and I hope uh, I can cover this quickly, I will, um, faith, hope, and love, we see that, and uh, yet faith and hope are all encompassed inside of love. Therefore, the greatest of all things a believer can possess is what? Is love. And we need to boil everything else down to that. And what makes love so great? 
Well, love is the defining characteristic of who God is. 1 John 4, 8. When the Bible went to describe in one sentence who God is, what did he say? Very simple. He didn't go on with all these theological... Ex- what is it? God is love, right? You still with me? Just shake your head. Just, just agree. Say something. Yeah. God is love. And look, I'm a simple guy. Just ask Margaret. You know, she calls me a simpleton all the time. But, you know, um, we're never more godlike. We're never more godlike than when we love like God. Forget everything else. Because love, everything else branches down from that. And we cannot love like God unless God, what? Lives in us. And this truth is explained again in, in John's first letter. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made what? Complete. Complete in us. That is so cool. How does God live in us? That's the question. How does God live in us? By being what? Born again. And receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. If any person's in Christ... He's a new creation, not a patched up one, but a new creation in Christ. And I go to Nicodemus and I see the conversation there at night. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I hope we understand that today. And that's a good place to start to learn about the love of God. So with that said, uh, I'll wrap it up here. Amen. I know. Um, uh, I have had many examples of love in my life. My mom, Margaret's mom, many others, you know, and, uh, and I, think, I think sometimes it takes age and sometimes it takes loss for us to really think about this, these things. And so we often have unrealistic expectations and we frequently take each other for granted. And we must remind ourselves, if we find ourselves going into that direction, we are all in the process of growth. We're all in the process of growth. We're not there yet. And we must be patient with others, just as we want others to be patient with us. We need to work at considering the needs of others above our own. That changes the world. We must continually continually look for ways to encourage and, and stir each other up in the most holy faith in the love of God. Continually look at that. And this verse just came to me this morning. You know, uh, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And this comes from Galatians. But through love, what? Serve one another. Through love. If we serve one another without love, so does the world. And others will see. As we learn to love others more, we will see, uh, we will see how each, and each one of us is a treasure. Each one of us. Christ died for our sins. You're worthy because Christ is worthy. And so we have to treasure each and every one of us with a new clarity. We need to see each other a little differently. We need to savor the smiles and the laughter and the little things that makes us human. And we will fellowship with God and with one another much deeper. 
than we have before. This is, should be like an ongoing, like we did at the men's retreat. Wow, I wish I was there, but I'm just seeing the pictures and getting the news at 11, you know? But, uh, but it was great. We went to a different level of fellowship. And we will discover that love enriches the giver more than it does the recipient. So, I don't know why this came to mind. I went back and I looked at the, the old cartoon of the Grinch at Christmas. Some of you, I hope you all have seen that, or else I'm really dating myself. Uh, after he was radically changed, his heart grew how many sizes? Three sizes. His heart grew when he realized the true meaning of Christmas. And here, it applies to the true meaning of love. And let me tell you, my friends, today is as good a day as any to let the Lord enlarge our hearts, isn't it? And I want you to think as you leave today, I want you to think of these three words. What matters most? What matters most? Let's pray. Lord, you know, it's so easy to be distracted from living a life of love. You have called us to live in Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to commit to this area, one area in here that we need to improve in. Thank you, Lord, for showing us your love with your life, your death, your resurrection. For God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, may our love today, starting today, increase and abound more and more. And as we come to the table today, Lord, we can remember that perfect love that you showed us with your broken body and your blood that was spilt out for us. May we show our love for you as we partake in this time of communion, in Christ's name, amen.